All right, church, we are in Luke chapter 6 today. We've been out of this book for about a month now. And so we're in Luke 6. We're going to cover verses 1 through 11 today. Dealing with the Sabbath, I entitled the message, Our Merciful Lord of the Sabbath, because he does identify himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. But I purposely put that word merciful in there because he is our merciful Lord of the Sabbath. So we'll just start out by looking at the text itself. Luke 6, 1 through 11. Now it happened that he was, as he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find, the, uh, find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at, after looking around at them all, He said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we just humbly approach your word, and we just pray that you would give us understanding today. Help me to clearly preach and teach your word. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would give us understanding. Help us to apply it to our lives, God. May we be encouraged to worship our Lord, to love him more all the days of our lives. God, we just pray for his will to be done today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys remember the question that, uh, that was posed to Jesus the first and the first and greatest commandment. I forget, I don't have it written down, but if you remember, the first and the first and second greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I really think that. Um, hopefully, we'll see how this applies to this message as we go throughout. But this is the summation of the law. That's the summation of the law. Love God. First, first table of the law, the first half of the Ten Commandments, and love, love your neighbor. The second half, I think everything we do should be governed by that principle. Um, you know, and, and you've heard the phrase, because it, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10.31, basically that everything we do, we need to do for the glory of God, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether we, you know, whatever it is, we could think of really important things, mundane things, everything we do, we're to do to the glory of God. But I, I just asked this question, just as a question for us all to consider. 
No matter what it is we're attempting to, to, whatever way we're attempting to serve God, do you think if we're not doing it in love, loving our neighbor, that it actually glorifies God? I don't. And I say that because I've just been in the circles that I've been in, um, you know, public ministry and those type of things. I've heard guys use that phrase a lot, you know, do it to the glory of God, as they're really just acting like jerks. But they're doing it to the glory of God. My question's always been, are you, are you really doing it to the glory of God? If we're, not, if we're not truly loving people, then I don't know how much it glorifies God. Um, you don't have to turn there. Let me, read, let me read this, 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter, I'm just going to read the first eight verses so you can hear this language. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Obviously, everything we do, we can do some great things. For the Lord, but if we're not doing it in love, we're not glorifying God. Okay? You're not glorifying God if you, if you don't have love in your heart for other people. You know, It's love for Him, right? It's easy to say, I love God. But if, but if we don't have love towards our neighbor whom we can see, how can we have love towards God who we don't, we don't see? hope you guys can see what I'm trying to say. Um, you know... When we look at this text today, we're going to be reminded that God hates... Well, first of all, we know He hates false religion. God hates false religion. But He also hates, hates it when men... And we can be, all be guilty of this. When we elevate tradition, our traditions, above His law. Um, and that's... Uh, when we think about these men, that's who they were. The Pharisees we're going to look at, but before we before we dive into this text, I, because we haven't been in Luke for about a month, just a quick review to kind of where we're at. Really, in the last chapter and a half, you know, Jesus began his public ministry. In chapter four, we, we've seen him begin to do his perform his miracles, casting out demons, healing people publicly for all to see, right? Demonstrating. Who he is, by by his actions, demonstrating that he is God, that he has he has power over the demonic realm, power over darkness. I mean, if he's going to save us, right? If he's going to save us from the kingdom of darkness, he must. He obviously needs to have power over the kingdom of darkness, and he displayed that publicly, publicly healing. And so, obviously, this was very public. Uh, the, the common people were catching word of it, but so were his enemies, these religious hypocrites, the Pharisees. And so you can just see it building as we go throughout the text. These Pharisees really just following him around, trying to, trying to capture him in some sin. Um, I think it really escalated as far as where we've been so far in chapter 5 in verse 
in verse 24, he had, he had cleansed the leper. And now, in chapter 5, oh, in, verse, in, in about verse 18, 19, 20, it's where he heals the paralytic, if you remember that. But what did he say before he healed him? He says, your sins are forgiven you. And he did this in the presence of these Pharisees. You know, and they rightly said, well, who, who is this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then obviously, intentionally, he healed the man. Basically, just showing these guys, I am who I say I am. So he healed the man. He forgave his sins. Obviously, claiming to be God. And um, so you can see this, the, the, the tension building. And Jesus was intentional in doing these things around these Pharisees because he was always attempting to expose them for who they really are. And I think it really culminates even more today because um, that's who these men were. They would elevate their traditions above the law, especially in a large part when dealing with the Sabbath. Okay? We'll, we'll, see, we'll see the Sabbath again in the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to really deal with it today and so, really by way of, you know, examining our own hearts, guys, we're going to see these guys. And we've seen them already. They're, we're going to continue to see them because they're, they're always in the picture, right? Right up to the very end. They have him crucified. But, but these are religious hypocrites, guys. And, and may, may we all guard our hearts in these areas that we're going to discuss today. Because we all have that Pharisee in us, right? We've got we've to keep him down. <laughs> and... Um, and so, I'm going to try to answer questions on, on how this would apply to us when we, when we think about the Sabbath, when we think about what we now call the Lord's Day, because um, there's many different views on these things. I, I will say right now, hopefully answer more towards the end, that I think a word we have to remember is balance. We have to remember balance. Um, but we don't, want to be, we don't want to be legalistic, but at the same time, we don't want to be flippant about any of these things. And so hopefully I can kind of answer questions throughout the sermon and then obviously we'll have, we'll have discussion afterwards. So I just want you to know that Jesus Christ is bringing the fight to them. He's intentionally bringing the fight to them because He wants to expose them and expose their false system of worship to really reveal who they are. And so if you have your uh, outline today, we're going to go through this text. And the first thing we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 is the accusation. The accusation in verses 1 and 2. I mean, yeah, I am there. So Luke 6, verses 1 and 2. Now it happened that he was, <clears throat> that he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? There's the accusation right there. Um, why do you do? You know, it doesn't even say where these guys came from. Are they just following him? I guess so. I guess these guys are just following him. Because they were just there. Ready to accuse. They, you know, this reminds me of trolls on Facebook. They just follow. <laughs> I mean, they are. These guys, their motives aren't good. They, wanna, they want him to fall. They want him to stumble. They want to catch him in a sin. But it says in verse 1 that he was, as he was passing through some grain fields on a Sabbath, 
grain fields, it literally means sown fields, probably wheat or barley. Obviously ripe enough to eat, so the, so the time frame would have been sometime in the spring or summer. And so, the first question we must ask ourselves is, what is what they were doing? It says they were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. His disciples were, because they were hungry. So first of all, we ask, was this forbidden in God's law? Well, listen to Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, okay? When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand. Okay? So that's exactly what they were doing. This is, this is simply God in the law graciously providing for the basic needs of life, like hunger. That's, that's all it is. And that's all they're doing. But their objection was, was <clears throat> that it was being done on the Sabbath. That's, that's where they're trying to catch him. But I want you to know that nowhere in God's word, nowhere in God's law were they guilty. Okay, and that's Jesus' next point here that he's going to make in a minute. The Pharisees added all kinds of their own traditions, all kinds of their own regulations of what they, what they said was permitted. Okay? According to the Mishnah, their, their oral traditions, no fewer than 39 different kinds of works were forbidden on the Sabbath, including plucking heads of grain, which they said is reaping. Rubbing the grain in their hands, which they said was threshing. And obviously eating the grain, which they said was preparing food. These are traditions that they had developed. So they are breaking, in their mind, they are breaking the law of God, but what they're actually breaking is their man-made traditions. So that's the accusation that we see. Just, they make the accusation. Now verse 3, verse 3 and 5, we see the explanation. So the first one was their accusation. The next one is the explanation that Jesus gives. The explanation in verses 3 through 5. And Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone and gave it to his companions? And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to read, and you can turn here if you'd like, because this is what Jesus is looking back on. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 through 6. This is the account he's, he is uh, saying to them, or, or speaking to them. It's found in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. Don't you guys know this, in other words? This is what he's asking them. So in 1 Samuel 21, the first six verses, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter in which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread, if only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more then today will their vessels be holy? 
So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So what's going on here is David is actually, he's actually running from his life from Saul. He lied to the priest here. He didn't want word to get back to Saul, but he's running. He's running from Saul. David and his men were hungry. Okay? Very simple. They were hungry, just like the disciples in the story in Luke. They had no food, so they went into the tabernacle, into the holy place, where the consecrated bread was on the altar. This, this was, okay, this was part of the ceremonial aspect of worship that God had designed, okay? It really was. And so David took the bread and ate. He and his men, that's what Jesus says. He says he took the bread and ate. The bread that Jesus says was reserved for the priests alone. So in other words, Jesus is approving of what David did. Okay? So what's going on here? If it's part of, it's actually part of the ceremonial aspect of worship, but Jesus is approving of it, what is, what is going on? Well, it's very simple, guys. Really to the heart of our whole message here is this, that no ceremony outweighs the need for food. Really, really simple, okay? No ceremony, no ceremonial aspect of the law outweighs the need for food. This is so basic, guys. It's love your neighbor. That's what's going on here. Love, love for neighbor transcends. The moral part of God's law transcends this ceremonial part of it. This was a genuine need, and Jesus was standing in defense of his disciples as an advocate against these accusers. They're accusing him and, he and his men of breaking the law. So Jesus tells him this story, or tells them this story from 1 Samuel that human need outweighs even ceremonial restrictions. Okay? Now we're going to come back to that here in just a few moments and, and, and apply it even more so to what's going on in the setting here in Luke. But just remember this, guys. In Matthew's account of the same story, he adds this in Matthew 12, verse 7. But if you had known what this means, this is what Jesus tells the, the Pharisees. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. You see, do you see? He is, he is saying his men are innocent. They are innocent of these accusations. Now, we must remember just a little bit about these guys to help us understand what Jesus is dealing with, okay? These men had countless, and you can even say ridiculous Sabbath restrictions and were blinded to the nature of God's true law, okay? Um, it, it really reminds me, and I'm going to mention just a couple of them, guys, as an example, but, but it really reminds me of, of guys that I, I really call modern-day Pharisees, the Hebrew Israelites. That's what they are if you've dealt with them. They are modern-day Pharisees. And these guys will be so hung up on something like wearing their fringes at the bottom of their shirts, but yet things like immorality, drunkenness, and these type of things, you know, they just look past that things because they're blinded to the nature of God's law. But in, a, in the same way, listen to some of these guys. I just wrote two or three of these down. And I wrote these down out of MacArthur's commentary. This was some of the silly little rules they had for Sabbath restrictions. They say that an object tossed into the air could be caught with the same hand. But if it was caught with the other hand, it would be a Sabbath violation. Okay? 
Yeah. So, that's, you're okay there, but if you do this, you've broken the Sabbath. <laughs> now, now, this is not a Sabbath one, but it just came to my mind. These are the same men who basically said you could divorce your wife for anything. If she burns your toes, you can divorce. <laughs> so, uh, another one was move, moving a chair was not allowed since it might make a rut in the dirt floor, which was too much like plowing. Okay? So, yeah. How would you, hey, but think about it. How would you like to live under that? What they did, guys, they, they took a day, which we'll see in a moment, that God meant to be a blessing. And they made it into a curse. They made it into the worst day of the week. Um, okay, women. Women. <laughs> women were forbidden to look in a mirror since the... It's, <laughs> Since if they saw a white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. So I guess pulling out a white hair is considered, you know, work on the Sabbath. So you see how just th- this is the men he was dealing with. Okay, and, he, and obviously he knew it. That's why he was, he was always bringing the fight to them. He intentionally did these things, as we'll see in the second half of our passage. But yeah, look, listen to, uh, that's where I was actually going next. Because I just want you to hear... <clears throat> Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15, guys. You don't have to turn there, but but just listen. You can jot those verses down. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Um, Okay, I'm not in the right place. Oh, I'm in Deuteronomy 12. It's Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, guys, again. But they made it a curse. And, And I think Jesus even even says that even further in Mark's, in Mark's account of the same passage where he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It really was made to be a blessing. To slow down, to, to slow down, to rest, and to remember the Lord your God. That's really what the heart of it was. The Old Testament Sabbath. And so, as we go through this, trying to make application to our life, guys, with some of these things, we must... We must guard against this type of spirit uh, because we can easily develop these kind of maybe rules or traditions in our own life. Um, I've, and I've heard some of these. I want to share a couple examples with you. Just as examples, this, this came from a pastor that I know who I respect a lot. He's been a pastor for a long time. And he said, he, he said now he's later since... Uh, changed his view on some of these things, but he was very, very, very rigid with, uh, you know, what many people call the Lord's Day or, or Christian Sabbath. Um, but he said, there for a long time, I would not pump gas on, the, on, on Sunday. I was like, now let me say this. Some of these things that I mentioned, if you have convictions, personal convictions about some of these things, that's fine. But we don't make, them, we don't make it law, okay? Because I, I thought, well, you know, I just thought, <laughs> just in my mind, I'm thinking, Let's just say I went to church with this guy. And so if you saw me on the side of the road out of gas, would you, would you go pump some for me and bring it to me? I guess not. <laughs> See, I would think that loving a brother, 
by getting some gas. <laughs> because if I saw you broke down, the same guy, I would go, I would go pump gas, <laughs> bring it to him. It's really, it's really kind of silly, but that's how, that's how these things can develop. You know, some people say, we don't, we don't cook anything on Sunday. And, and, and again, this is fine. I think it's a good thing to do to make, to make Sundays as, as restful as possible. Well, we, we do that. A lot of times Trish will have a crock pot meal when we get home. So, so we, we can just keep the Lord's Day as restful as possible. But to make it law, to, to make it free to tell you you're, you're violating the Sabbath because maybe you go out to eat. That's another one I've heard. We don't ever go out to eat on Sunday because we're violating the Sabbath or the Christian Sabbath. Well, okay, if that's your conviction, that's fine. But I tell you what, I think many times I've been out to eat on Sunday maybe having good fellowship with another Christian or maybe even counsel, mercy ministry type of things. These, these kind of things transcend our little rules that we make. I hope you can see what I'm saying. You can think of myriads of examples um, of what we want to guard against. If you have your convictions on these things, that's fine. But we don't want to make them, we don't want to make them law. But really back to our story here, guys, in Luke. What's the point of this going on? When, when Jesus gave the explanation of, of David and his men, what's the point here? It's this right here, guys. If David had a right to ignore a divinely established ceremonial part of the law to meet the genuine needs like hunger, right? How much more does Jesus, the true and better David, have a right to ignore man-made Sabbath traditions of religious hypocrites to meet the needs of his men? Can you see the comparison? David had a right to even, to even break the ceremonial part of the law because out of a basic need like hunger. And Jesus is saying, how much more right? This, is, this, is, this isn't even part of God's law. This is your tradition. In verse 5, this is really the height of it right here. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you guys remember, I'm going to go back and read it real quick because I don't know who was here and who wasn't, but it's good to look at again. We dealt with that phrase, Son of Man, in, in, in um, chapter 5, verse 24. When he said the Son of Man has, has authority on earth to forgive sins. I think that's where he said that. But um, they knew exactly what he was referring, referring when he said, when he entitled, gave himself the title Son of Man. Now the Son of Man, really it's in reference to his humanity and deity, right? He's the man of sorrows. We talked about those things. But, but even more so than that, they knew exactly what he was referring to or falling back upon. It's Daniel's. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. When he, when he gives himself the title, the Son of Man, he is bringing the fight to them. Again, he is saying, I am God. Listen to, what he, listen to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. I mean, that's deity right there, right? Remember what God said in Isaiah? I will share my glory with no other. But here the Son of Man has glory. Son of Man has an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom. Which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So they knew exactly what He meant. 
You know, that phrase, Son of Man, is used 83 times in the New Testament. 78 times Jesus uses it to uh, speak of Himself. But that's, that's exactly what He's saying in verse 5. He said, and, and He was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath, we see it in the Ten Commandments. In other words, He's saying, I'm the lawgiver. But we also see it in Genesis. It was instituted at creation. I mean, Jesus is saying, I'm the creator, I'm the lawgiver, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the, the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, these religious hypocrites that are trying to, who are trying to, uh, the, the, the sheriffs of the Sabbath, I heard somebody call them. Jesus is saying, who do you think made the Sabbath day? Who do you think made the Sabbath day? I determine what's lawful on the Sabbath and not you. That's what's going on here. And so we can see up to this point, guys, what trumps even ceremonial aspects of the law and certainly man-made traditions, what trumps these things? Love for neighbor. Love for neighbor. That's what trumps these things. Again, he says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Think back to our passage we read in Isaiah that I read a little while ago. Did you hear the language in that? Again, that's Yahweh speaking. Who is Jesus? Yahweh you could hear how disgusted he was with their hypocritical religion. And he was even naming things that, that God instituted. But he, but he was saying, because your heart's not right. It's hypocritical. Hypocritical, it makes me sick. Okay? I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And really, I, I, I had to decide because it, you, could have, you could have just stopped there and then... And then had another sermon the second half of this, but I just wanted to deal with the Sabbath in one setting. So we're going to move on in verses 6 through 11. So we see their accusation. We see the explanation that Jesus gives. And thirdly, we're going to see what I call the revealing. The revealing, in other words, He's going to begin to reveal who these men really are. He's going to reveal to themselves who they are and to those who are listening. And then lastly, we're going to see the clarification. He's going to make it very, very clear who's who in this, in this whole account here. But first, let's look at the revealing, verses 6 through 9. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. So they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or destroy it? Just real quickly, verse 6 and 7. says he entered the synagogue. This is probably in Capernaum. And obviously Jesus was doing what he always did when he was teaching. You can mark assured he was teaching the gospel. And a man with a withered hand came, just a paralyzed, some kind of paralyzed hand, some kind of muscular, you know, um, think of maybe cerebral palsy, these type of things, had a paralyzed hand. And it says these men in verse 7 were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. That, that word watching closely, it means they were lurking. You ever seen someone, somebody's lurking? They're lurking. You just know they're lurking. And, and, the, and the, it says it just means they're lying in wait, okay? 
They're lying in wait with a, with a sinister. There's something sinister behind it. They're lurking. I mean, we could see that when they're, they're, his disciples were in, in the previous passage. They're, they're just walking and picking heads of grain. And there's the Pharisees. It's like they must be following. They're lurking. But that's what they were doing. But in verse 8 and 9 it says, but he knew what they were thinking. That's so important. He knew what they were thinking. He knows what's going through these hypocrites. He knows exactly that they are thinking, uh, what they're thinking in verse 7, that they were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. He knew exactly what they were thinking. We must never forget that church that he knows what we're thinking. Okay? He knows what you're thinking right now. Are you truly worshiping Christ? Is your mind somewhere else? Are you just here because it's just the right thing to do? Are you here to worship Christ in spirit and truth? So we, we, need to, we need to remember that, guys. That he knows what we're thinking. We always tell lost people that, but we need to remember that. That He knows what we're thinking. He knows, he knows why we come to church. You know, He knows why we gather and these type of things. But, he, but it says He knew what they were thinking. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Don't you love that? Jesus is a... He's a, he's a man's man. <laughs> he knows what these guys are thinking. He knows they're trying to trap him. And he, he tells the man, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward. And really getting to the, the, the point of this, this revealing here in point three is verse nine, the question he asks. He says this, And Jesus said to them, these hypocrites, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the, on the Sabbath? To save a life or to destroy it? You know, that question is so simple, a five-year-old can answer. Think about the simplicity of that question. Hey, is it lawful to do good? To help somebody or to do evil? I mean, that's, that's such a simple question that anybody with any sense about them could answer that question. So to do nothing, in this, in this case, to do nothing, not helping this man, would be in a sense to, to help destroy his life. Beloved, I think before before we before we answer this, before we really look at look at the result of this, of their of their answer or lack thereof, um, I think we just need to remember in our own life, guys, that we have a responsibility not only not to take life, okay, as far as doing good, but to preserve it. You know, when when you think about something like abortion. Think, you think of something like the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. You know, and when you have something as, as, as awful as abortion, and we have a, a chance to fight against it in some way, to not do so would be guilty of really, you know, really murdering our hearts. So that's uh, kind of making application to our own hearts. But healing a man's hand, guys, to the point here, healing a man's hand would be a good thing, would it not? It'd be a good thing. Now, we know that God doesn't always heal, you know, for His purposes. But in this story here, healing the man's hand is a good thing. Showing mercy, right? Showing mercy is a good thing. That's always a good thing. God desires mercy in our lives, towards one another, towards other people. Showing mercy is a good thing. And, and guess when showing mercy is a good thing? Seven days a week. Not Monday through Saturday, but sorry, Sunday, you don't get my mercy. You don't get my mercy because I've got to be in the Lord's house. Should we help those who are sick on Sunday when we have a chance? 
I mean, I'm just trying to make application, guys. What about this one? Should you help your parents when they're in dire need on Sunday? Rather obvious, right? We don't want to break the fifth commandment not to honor our father and mother because we think we're honoring the fourth commandment when actually we're just being a hypocrite. Acts of mercy, guys. God desires mercy more than our religious hypocrisy. What about, what about Christians, guys? Christians whom God has called to a certain career. Doctors. Firefighters. They have, they have odd schedules sometimes. Sometimes they have to work Sundays. Maybe a few Sundays in a row. Our son does. Do we really think that a, a, a man who, who loves Christ, but he's a doctor, and sometimes he has to work on Sundays, is he breaking the, the Lord's Day? Or what some would call the Christian Sabbath by being at work? No, not at all. It's all where his heart's at. That's why I say we don't want to be flippant about these things. If we're neglecting the Lord's Day just because we want to go ride our boat around the lake, that's a totally different thing. Okay? It's the spirit behind it all. I had a, I had a guy tell me, he said, if I was ever a pastor in your church, because we've had people in our church that were medical, in the medical field, and, and so sometimes Sunday they wouldn't have to be here. He said, if I was an elder with you or a pastor, he said, after so many Sundays they'd be on church discipline. I thought, that's why you're not. That's why you never will be. But that's the spirit, guys. It's out there. Those kind, of, those kind of mindsets are out there. So these men are the supposed experts, right? He, again, he's asking them a basic question. If you notice in the text, they never answer. This is such a basic question. Is it lawful? I ask you. I bet he even asked it more than once. He doesn't say. I ask you again. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save life or destroy it? Let them answer. They're the experts. And again, he's doing this publicly, guys, in front of all to see, to reveal their hearts to these, to these men and, and to let other people see who these guys are. So is it lawful to do good and save a life like I'm doing? <laughs> or to harm and destroy a life like you're doing? Answer the question, guys. It's a simple question. Again, Jesus is exposing these men. That's what He's intentionally doing. Exposing these hypocrites. He's revealing who they really are. Because think about it, guys. Here's the Jesus always dealt with these guys with questions. You ever notice that? That's, that's sometimes a very, very wise thing for us to do. You can ask questions. Because if they answered, well, yeah, it's lawful to do good, then they would officially be authorizing Jesus to do it, to heal the man. They didn't want to do that. But what if they said it's not lawful? Then it would reveal to everybody their wicked hearts. So that was what he was, that's why he asked the question. They had no answer, guys. You know why? Because they hated Christ. They hated Christ so much they couldn't answer a simple question. And so, you know, just these, these guys were so wicked. Um, religious hypocrisy, guys, we have to guard against that because, you know, sin in and of itself. Darkness, in and of itself, it makes people stupid. That's the only way I know to say it. How can a person, again, I, I get back to like a topic like abortion. How can somebody truly try to defend murdering a, a, a baby in the womb? Darkness and sin makes people stupid. 
It really does. And so, lastly, we see the clarification. He's going to make, he's going to make clear to everybody present, really, who are the guilty ones and who's the innocent one here. Because again, they're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. So verses 10 and 11, After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what, uh, what they might do to Jesus. So he healed him. The Lord of the Sabbath, right? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. There's no argument there. Once again, displaying His mercy. That's why I entitled it, He's our merciful Lord of the Sabbath. He's a merciful God. In Mark's account, Mark 3, verse 5, that's why it's always good to have, you know, you look at the other stories in the Gospels, and, and each writer maybe has a little bit different wording here. Listen to Mark's account. In Mark 3, verse 5, we can really see Jesus' attitude towards these men. After looking around at them with anger, Jesus was hot. Okay? After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. These were men who were supposedly honoring the Sabbath. Okay? And He was angry, grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to them, or He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And He stretched it out and it was restored. And guys, I think here's the point of the whole deal. Jesus is making clear that these men were the real lawbreakers. Not Him. These men were the real lawbreakers. They were ready to bring charges against Jesus for healing, for doing good, while plotting to destroy not just the man by not healing Him, but plotting to destroy Jesus Himself. That's what these men were doing. Again, Mark's account adds a little bit. You see in our verse, in verse 11, it says they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. But in Mark's account, we can see what they wanted to do to Jesus. Mark 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against Him so as to how they might destroy Him. These men are accusing Jesus Christ, right? The Son of God of breaking the Sabbath for healing a man. That's what they wanted to do when the whole time they were violating commandment number six, you shall not murder. They were filled with hate. They were filled with rage. And eventually they did have Him murdered, right? In God's plan of redemption, it's what led to the cross. So really the aftermath, guys, you could say the aftermath, Jesus makes clear to everybody present that He was a merciful God, that He was the Lord of the Sabbath, that He was displaying mercy once again, and that these men who were claiming to be God's men were actually murderers. And that's what he's, and they hated Him the more. They hated Him and hated Him and hated Him until they had Him crucified. So how... We have to ask the question then, how does the Sabbath apply to us, right? How do these things apply to us? I mean, it's pretty easy to see Jesus' uh, confrontation with these men, how they twisted the Sabbath, the seventh day. But how, how do these things apply to us? Because there's much discussion. There's much 
There's much disagreement on these things. So how do they apply to us, guys? I told you at the beginning, I take a very balanced approach. And so, obviously, we know that he's the, the he being the Lord of the Sabbath, rose from the dead on Sunday. So I read those verses, first day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. Um, now, I will say this, we want, well, we meet, obviously, right? We meet on the first day, remembering our risen King. That's why the church, you can see that in the, in the book of Acts, you know, after His resurrection. That's, you know, that's one of the, uh, that's a good apologetic to use in, in, in really proof of the resurrection. That, that these Jews that held the seventh day in such high esteem began to meet on the first day. Why? Because something happened. It was the resurrection of Christ. That's why we meet on the first day. And I believe, guys, I believe we're to honor this day. I believe we're to do everything we can to honor this day. Hopefully you guys throughout the message can hear the spirit of that, what it means to honor that day, right? To, to have the right spirit behind it. But I believe we're to honor this day. Um, you don't have to turn there, but listen to Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, because I think, there's some, uh, I think there's some misunderstanding on this verse here. Because, again, remember what I said. We don't want to be legalistic, but we don't want to be flippant. Okay? And this is what I mean. Romans 14, verses 5, 5 and 6. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it. For the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. You guys, you guys, did you, did you catch that? I need to read it again. Okay. So, that, because some people will say, well, yeah, the Lord's day is not really anything special. It's just another day. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what that text means at all. Because if you read that, text in, in Romans 14, it has nothing to do with, again, this is post-resurrection. It has nothing to do with the Lord's day and, that, and Paul's argument there. It has to do with uh, matters of conscience, okay? Like, for example, I'm going to give a couple examples of what he's dealing with in that chapter and then what I think, how we apply that verse to our life, okay? For example, you had, you had Jews and Gentiles now who were Christians. And so the weak Jew... A weak, a, 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 maybe a, a Jew who's now a Christian, but he's not mature, okay? Maybe um, he, still, he still felt as a matter of conscience that he needed to observe certain days. Maybe even including the Sabbath, the Sabbath, not for salvation, okay? He understands that Jesus is the fulfillment, but because he's maybe still has not reached a certain maturity for his conscience, he still wants to observe certain, uh, you know, special days in Judaism, different feast days or whatever. Paul's saying, okay, that's fine. Whereas maybe a mature Jew understands those, those days don't mean nothing. And so, and also with certain foods they were eating, you know, could be a Jew who was recently saved and he couldn't eat certain kind of meats because he, they were unclean in his mind. Again, he's trusted Christ for salvation, but, but his conscience just won't allow him to eat that. We're a mature Jew. That's okay, man. Everything's clean. We're not held to that anymore. A, a Gentile who is recently saved, you know, maybe their conscience wouldn't allow them to eat meats that had been sacrificed to idols. But maybe a more mature Gentile realized that, hey, 
you know, these, this meat was these these gods. They're just idols. It's meaningless. We can buy it cheaper at the market, and so we can enjoy it. He's that's the kind of things he's dealing with, guys. Um, because you had you had these people who are even even the Gentile, a weak Gentile, a, 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 an immature Gentile, maybe he wanted to separate himself from even special days of festivities associated with his former paganism. Okay. Where a more mature believer realized, guys, it's just a day. That's all it is. So I don't think we can, I don't, because there are Christians who use that. I've used it in the past until I've studied it more. To, to say that, well, you know, the Lord's day, it's just another day. I don't think that's what that's teaching at all. Because that's why I read those verses at the beginning. Paul, there's an emphasis in the New Testament on the first day of the week. The first day of the week. It is a special day. Okay? Now we don't want to do it with the spirit of this uh, hypocrisy, but I think it's a special day that, that we're to just try to honor at the, the best we can. I think Romans 14, as far as applications to us, as far as like this day, it's just a day, it's just another day. Think of, because it, it's a matter of conscience. That whole chapter is dealing with matters of conscience. And I think this is where the application would come. Hey, do you celebrate Christmas? What about this holiday? What about that? You see how we can when, when in reality, guys, hey, and to Paul's point, to Paul's point in those verses that I read, he, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. So if, you want, if you're a Jew that's a Christian and you want to you still observe the, the Sabbath or, or some kind of festival or feast day, hey, do it unto the Lord. If you, if you don't do it, do that, don't do it unto the Lord. So if you want to celebrate Christmas or if you want to celebrate Easter or whatever, do it unto the Lord. If you don't want to, then don't do it unto the Lord. That's the point here. I say all that. I bring Romans 14 up just to try to answer that question in case anybody had that question. I don't think we want to avoid the legalistic spirit of these hypocrites. But I don't think we just are flipping about the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the day that God has. That's why we see in the Scriptures. It's the first day. It's the first day. First day when the church gathered, that's when they took the collection up because they were meeting on a specific day. Does that make sense? But it's the Spirit how we do it. Because even more so, guys, this day that we meet on, okay, this day that we meet on, it points to our future rest. Even in a greater way. It points to something even better. Okay? Yes, I think we're to try to honor this day. But our true rest is in the one in whom we honor when we come here. Okay? That's the point of all this. I think that's where all this climaxes. Okay? Because you can do, you can, man, you can set aside Sunday all you want. And you can make that day as restful as you want. But if you haven't found rest in Christ, it's all in vain. Okay? That's where our rest comes from. We come to Christ. So I think even the Lord's Day points to something better. Points to our rest that's found in Christ. We come to rest, or we come to Christ, and what have we found rest from? We have found rest from works. We have found rest from trying to earn our way to heaven. Hebrews talks about that, guys. And I'm just going to leave it with Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, because ultimately, He is our rest. He is our rest. I think we should do all we can to observe the Lord's day. He has given us this day. He has given us this day. We remember Christ's resurrection. This is where we come, right? And we're taught the Word of God. We're, we're to encourage one another. 
But here's the point of it all, guys. Because there's people who are in situations where they physically physically can't make it. I think of I think of a brother who's been who's in a deep dark prison in China. He can't physically make the Lord's day, but his rest is in Christ. Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." That's where our rest is at, guys. Our rest ultimately isn't in a day. It's in a person. We cease from our works. We're saved by His grace. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Isn't that interesting? He's telling the the, the multitudes this who are under these religious hypocrites and their system. And He's saying, come to me and rest. Come out of this. Come to me and rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble and heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Father, for the... <clears throat> we thank you for the Lord's Day, God. We do thank you, Lord, that, that you have made it clear in your Word, God, that, that we're, you've given us a day to remember your Son's resurrection. It changed history. Without, without His resurrection, we are hopeless. And God, we, we just thank You, Lord. I pray that You will help us, God, to truly, to, to truly try to structure our lives so that we can honor this day and, and, be with, and be with others, Lord, who love You. Father, with the right spirit, with the right heart. And God, we thank You most of all for Your Son and and the rest that He gives us, God. Whether we're homebound in a bed, or Father, whether we're in a prison, or whether we are working a job for a period of time that You have given us, Lord. We, Father, we know that our rest comes from You. And Lord, we thank You for that, God. We thank You for the, the Son of God. We thank You, Father, that that we don't have to try to earn our way to heaven. And Lord, that we can lay our head in our pillows at night and know that we have, we have rest and we have peace with God, peace with You because of Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, Father. Lord, I just pray, God, that, that Your people are encouraged, God, and, and are just more encouraged and motivated to worship You together, to, to see the, the freedom in it, Lord, to see that You desire mercy more than sacrifice, that we are to love people above all else. And Lord, we truly honor you, Lord, when we, have, when we, when we walk in love. Father, we, we do love you and we praise you. We thank you for saving us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.